the value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. This is not a buy, sell or hold recommendation for any particular security. With me is Dwayne Cable, Portfolio Manager at 91 in Cape Town, and we're going to talk about China. And Dwayne, welcome, first of all. And secondly, China is never out of the news, whether it be geopolitically, whether it be the macro economy, whether it be their general influence in the world's economy, which is growing all the time. And yet certain of their asset classes, despite their prominence, have been terrible performers over the last couple of years. I mean, where do we start when it comes to China? Such a huge subject. I mean, it's so topical, Lindsay. So it's the one where no doubt that China has been in the headlines recently for all the wrong reasons. So it is the world's second largest economy, so quite hard to ignore. But uh, over the last three years, China has been one of the worst performing stock markets in the world. And so when you think about investing in China, had you had any capital allocated to China, it's one uh, where you wouldn't have done that well. And whether it's a combination of zero COVID policy, government intervention, regulation, um, geopolitics, certainly it's been choppy waters. And, and unfortunately, it's one where the uh, market has been um, quite dismal from a return perspective. There was a, a very famous international investor who died last year at the age of 99. His name was Charlie Munger. And I was reading some obituaries of his, and he said that my position in China has been that the Chinese economy has better future prospects over the next 20 years than almost any other big economy. The leading companies of China are stronger and better than practically any other leading company anywhere. But his words fell on stony ground, I think. Yeah, it's quite funny because, I mean, I'm quite a huge fan of, of Charlie Munger. I mean, many people will know him as the partner and friend of, of Warren Buffett. I mean, certainly an astute investor with a phenomenal track record. Um, and, and what many people wouldn't know is that he actually has been a long-term China bull. And certainly if you look at the performance um, of China um, recently, it hasn't been doing that well. I mean, certainly it's one where um, we believe that, that certainly there's some structural challenges to China. I mean, certainly it's the one where we maybe would not be as optimistic as Charlie with respect to the, the outlook for its economic growth over the next two decades. But certainly enough investment opportunities um, that we are finding in China, despite the risks, just because valuations are so attractive at the moment. Let's get back to basics now and start with China itself, the country, the economy. And let's start with the economy it's been wavering. I mean, a lot of people would love the sort of GDP numbers that China is producing, but compared to uh, a decade or so ago when it was 10% plus a GDP growth, it has fallen a little bit by the wayside, hasn't it? No, absolutely. And it's the one way I think there's positives and negatives. I think one thing that is clear is that China is growth is slowing, which is a negative. I mean, the positive is it's off a much higher base. So if they can sustain an element of 3 to 5% um, GDP growth, we still think there is good opportunities to be had in China. I mean, just having recently visited China, the one thing I can confirm is that sentiment in the Chinese market is still quite low. Certainly economic activity is, is lower than I would have expected. And probably having gone there, expecting to see an element of, of green shoots on the ground, um, that was certainly not the case 
with my trip. So certainly my key takeaway um, from that trip was certainly to expect that the Chinese government are going to have to provide some element of, of stimulus to get the economy going, to improve sentiment, similar to what we saw in the West. And certainly that is our expectation for the year ahead. Yeah, but they have provided that stimulus, haven't they? Just a few days ago, as we pre-record this podcast, there was an announcement of a stimulus package and they keep doing and they're willing to do it, Dwayne. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the key messages and on my, my recent trip to China over December, having met some of these state-owned enterprises, it was clear that the focus going forward is going to be on the economy. I think government realizes that economic growth is stalling. Um, they're going to need to provide an element of stimulus. And certainly um, that over the last few days, we have started to see noises and certainly playing in line with our playbook where we would expect more of the positive sentiment from government to try and kickstart the economy and get it um, out of um, the current store rate of first or second gear to really get um, that sentiment improved and get the consumer spending again, which is definitely needed from an economic perspective. Let's talk about innovation now. Let's talk about um, things like artificial intelligence without focusing too much on AI. I think the perception is, is that China... Have a look at what's happened in the West, Silicon Valley, for example, and then they copy it. I mean, it's almost like someone saying, is that a Louis Vuitton bag? Yes, it is, but it's actually made in China. So you see what I mean? That was a sort of a crass comparison. But it seems from a couple of articles that I've read, China are innovating themselves now. I mean, that was probably one of my, my key takeaways from the, the trip, Lindsay. And again, the importance of really getting to see things on the ground rather than uh, relying on what you read. So, I mean, I'm ardent reader of the Financial Times and the and the Economist. Um, and normally, if you would read those publications, you would think China is not innovating and they're merely just copying Western technology. And given some of the companies that I've seen um, in China recently from a high-tech perspective, I mean, I can confirm that the extent of innovation across multiple spheres, whether it be artificial intelligence, whether it be surveillance, whether it be automation, autonomous vehicle, certainly exceptionally exciting and, and one where companies are benefiting and starting to monetize. And certainly I get excited that given the extent of, of money that China is investing in R&D, that we are starting to see um, positive signs in terms of companies innovating and driving growth and certainly no longer just copying um, Western technology, which I think is encouraging. And certainly from our perspective, finding those investment opportunities where companies are going to benefit from that innovation, we certainly think quite telling. And then maybe just a last point I would make, and I think that's quite clear with all the geopolitics and the signs of um, China being impacted by sanctions. I mean, the one key takeaway from our trip was the extent of, of innovation that's being made in local supply chains and definitely closing the gap to the West, uh, which we think will be positive for China's growth going forward. Yeah, I was going to ask you a question, which is far too big a subject. Will it be positive for the rest of the world? Positive for China, yes, but positive for the rest of the world? Well, that's up for debate, but we'll talk about that maybe at the end. Let's talk about regulation now. I mean, it's a highly regulated economy and society, isn't it? But are there signs that the rules are relaxing a bit? I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think probably that was my biggest disappointment. I mean, I left the trip 
having multiple meetings across companies, across state-owned enterprises, and government proxies. And generally the message that we received on the ground was one that was supportive of investment, giving us an element of comfort that the regulatory environment has stabilized and should improve going forward. And one where having barely unpacked my suitcase coming back from our trip, we saw the news fall that there was going to be a potential draft regulation impacting on the gaming companies, specifically the likes of a Netties, Tencent, uh, and therefore Naspas process. And we saw those shares crater as the fragile investor sentiment really took a knock. I think the pleasing thing, having, having thought that almost the Green stole Christmas on December 22nd, that the government response post that was quite swift. And certainly that's the encouragement where the confidence I take is that the news on the ground about regulation stability, that certainly having been shaken on December 22nd, over the subsequent weeks, I take increased confidence that that is indeed the case. I mean, we've seen the head of that um, regulatory environment, the NPPA, he was fired Um, State media has come out in support of these companies. Just today, we've seen more gaming approval. So certainly our take is that government is trying to stabilize the regulatory environment, make it more investor-friendly, and certainly we see see that as encouraging uh, going forward. They do say the trend is your friend, Duane. But on the other hand, uh, once that trend starts to change and it starts to go in the other direction, it goes in the other direction quite vigorously. Now, another quote that I've got from uh, Charlie Munger is to say that uh, the secret of a happy life is low expectations. So when you go into China at the moment, whatever asset class it is, you have low expectations because of its recent two, three year uh, performance. Where do you stand on this? Is this an opportunity or still a risk? I mean, we don't want to underplay the risk. There's definitely always risks invested in China, but certainly we found over time that when expectations are low, you only need a few things to go right in your favor to make good returns. And certainly that's where we're finding China at the moment. Yes, there are always going to be your risks. Yes, there's uncertainty. Yes, the economy is still weak, but valuations are exceptionally cheap. And if we look at certainly the outlook of some of these companies that we met that are still able to grow despite a a softer macroeconomic environment, trading on fractions of the multiples of similar quality businesses in the U.S., in our view, that presents the opportunity. So provided one can have a risk budget, have enough of diversifiers in the portfolio, we certainly see the Chinese market ripe with opportunities despite uh, the obvious risks that you have flagged. And I mean, the last point I would make is that certainly, like you said, the trend is your friend. And what is clear is that foreign investors are nowhere to be found. Generally, people are underweight China. Uh, It's very hard to find a bull on China these days, given the fact that you've certainly been out of favor for more than three years. And just read a recent article about um, some hedge funds in China that's been closed and, and people that have been fired for getting that China call wrong. So certainly, like you've mentioned, expectations are low. Bulls are nowhere to be found. Certainly, in our view, that's normally the time to be looking for those opportunities. Well, you can have a listen to my opinion when I hear you. Firstly, you sound incredibly enthusiastic about the trip that you've just um, been on in December of 2023 to China. And it seems to me that uh, risk, yes, it's a factor. 
but it looks as though you uh, are looking more at opportunity uh, than risk at 91. Is that the case? Are you increasing your exposure? I mean, at the moment, we haven't made material changes to our exposure. I mean, we've got sufficient exposure within our portfolio. Again, um, as a reminder, the portfolios that I manage do have the dual mandate of generating inflation beating returns, plus trying to protect um, capital uh, in tough markets, which means that we've got to think about risk quite carefully. And therefore, we've got a healthy exposure to China. I mean, certainly some of the better names and certainly what we have found post the trip, um, some incremental investment in China. And certainly as the weeks progress and we see more opportunities, certainly one where we are looking for opportunities to increase our exposure uh, within the mainland. Dwayne, great chat. Thank you very much for your time. Dwayne Cable is a portfolio manager at 91 in Cape Town. This podcast is a marketing communication and is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views of this podcast are those of contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider.